When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Daria Falkowitz, who is a full-time board-certified emergency medicine physician and medical toxicologist who specializes in poisonings, overdoses, and environmental occupational toxins. She is the director of the Division of Medical Toxicology in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey, and she's also the mother of two young daughters. In today's episode, we review the most common household substances that children are exposed to, what to do if your child eats or drinks a medication or household product, and much more. Let's dive in. Good morning, Dr. Falkowitz. We are so excited to have you on today talking about toxicology and children. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So I had asked my community yesterday for them to submit some questions for you. And a lot of the questions were based on what a toxicologist actually is. And I know from our standpoint, you know, we both work in the ER, you're an ER physician, and you're also certified as a toxicologist. And we have a lot of board certified toxicologists as ER attendings where I work as well. And I think that's probably the case in most ERs. And so if you wouldn't mind just talking about what a medical toxicologist is and what they do. That would be awesome. Yeah, sure. So like you said, I'm a full-time emergency medicine physician. So I work full-time in the ER. Medical toxicology is a subspecialty of emergency medicine. And so it's a separate board certification. I did an additional two-year fellowship on top of my residency. And we specialize in poisonings, overdoses, all sorts of toxicity, like lead toxicity, any chemical basically that you would encounter, we basically are responsible for. We also like do a fair amount of like addiction medicine, things like that. But I see both adult and pediatric patients in terms of toxicology as well. Perfect. I wanted to mention this as well. We talked about this before we, we jumped on, but you worked the first wave of the pandemic while in New York, right? Yep. And you were pregnant during the pandemic working, you know, frontline all the way up until your baby was born in February, right? Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> wild, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I was in New York working in Queens for the first wave of the pandemic. And then in June, I actually switched jobs. And now I'm currently working in New Jersey. And I had where I've been working for the second wave of the pandemic. And I just had my second daughter at the end of February. Yeah. So yeah, full PPE all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. And Thank you. it is, I mean, I was pregnant as well at the, you know, the first wave of the pandemic, but I thankfully was per diem. And so I worked like very minimal shifts. I think it was like two or three before I actually gave birth, but the PPE alone <laughs> yeah. while pregnant is so hard. And I don't know if this was the case for you, but our N95s were by 3M in the very first wave. We had to use those N95s and they were, they are so incredibly tight. And then I think it was like around, well, let's see, I was on maternity leave. So when I came back from maternity leave, we had these amazing newer N95s that aren't as restricting on your face. And it was like night and day. I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually move my jaw. (laughs) 
Yeah, we've <laughs> been through so many. We've been through so many brands of N95 since this started because there was never enough of anything. That's, yeah, yeah. So you never knew on a week to week basis what we were going to get. So yeah. you had to constantly, some of them would like destroy your nose. Some of them are like tearing up your face, you know, also yeah. the mask acne. That's always a good one. Oh, you know? my God, it's so brutal. So in the beginning, were you reusing your mask? Yeah, we had enough that we, um, everybody did have one, but we had to use one per week. Oh, yeah, it's brutal. So. I mean, we, yeah, well, right now we're one per shift, but in the beginning it was paper bags for everybody. And there were just paper bags of PPE just like laying around everywhere with people's names on it. And we would just reuse the same thing over and over and over and over yeah. again. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. So ugh, yeah, so they kept track and we got one per week. I mean, we were lucky yeah. because compared to other places in New York, some places didn't even have that. Right, right. But so we we did have, a, I was fortunate my hospital system had enough that we were able to get at least one per week, which is nice. Yeah. And when did you get vaccinated? Because so the vaccine became available right at the end of my pregnancy. So I got it right after I delivered the first one. And then I got the second one, obviously, three weeks later, I got the Pfizer vaccine. So now I'm immune and excited to go back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not about excited, but immune to go back. I should yeah. say. <laughs> excited to be immune to be to go back right correct <laughs> and you're breastfeeding yep and everything's good with baby yep yeah yeah, yeah. She's I always like to emphasize that I mean I yeah I was breastfeeding and I, I got the first dose it was the day before Christmas Eve yeah so it was December 23rd and then in January and yeah all is well over here too it was very emotional moment <laughs> more so than I thought it was gonna be truthfully <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I left and I was, I went with my friend and we were just crying. We we're just like, this is such an insane, I don't know, just after the whole year that we have had and being able to have that available so fast was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to protect our families, that's really number one. I mean, I don't think people, unless you were a frontline worker, I don't think people quite understand the a level of stress and anxiety. And I'm sure you too, while you were pregnant, <laughs> Yep. All I was, I was constantly worrying because my husband is an ER physician. So he was at work every day. I wasn't, but he was. And just this constant worry of bringing something, bringing it home and worrying about it. And just finally having that end to it was pretty amazing. I know. Yeah. I can't wait till my kids can get vaccinated, honestly, because that's yeah. my husband and I are both vaccinated and it's just a big sigh of relief, honestly. And that's why it's really like, I mean, you understand more than most that's actually hurtful I think to me at least when I hear about all of these like conspiracy theory rumors mm -hmm. about how this is like the medical community hyping this up and like making it more than it actually is and like if people actually saw what we saw every single mm -hmm. day in the ER for the last year you wouldn't sleep at night you know what I'm yeah, saying no so I mean I had a hard time sleeping when I first started emergency medicine okay <laughs> and now it's been 13 years and, and there still are things that that make us not sleep at night right but yeah. this past year is completely indescribable and I I was talking about this last week how so many of frontline providers especially in, in the emergency room and such in the ICU where they had high levels of cases of covid are in need now of substantial therapy, you know, just to yeah. kind of work through all of these thoughts and feelings and what we've seen and what we've had to go through. And it was this whole, you know, in the first wave of the pandemic, it was healthcare heroes, putting, everybody's yeah. putting out these signs. And now it's like, 
oh, they're just trying to, you know, instill fear and, and, so and make like money, complete, right? Right, right. I mean, some, somebody please let me know how I can make money from this because <laughs> it sure as hell doesn't come my way. I don't uh, understand. I I know, I know. You're being paid to talk about this vaccine. I'm like, okay. Well, yeah, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> sign me. I mean, really, I wish yeah. I could. I would sign up in a second because I'm going to talk about it anyways, right? Yep. I know somebody said to me the other day, they're like, I wonder, they're like, I can't imagine anybody ever signing their child up for these trials. I was like, you know who's signing their children up for these trials? Doctors yeah, who yeah. have seen this. Yeah. Yeah. Who have, who have been working this. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, okay. Let's go back to the topic. So okay. let's talk about the most common household substances that children are exposed to and, you know, more likely to ingest at home. Okay. So I would say... The most common thing that we get that children get exposed to are very common over-the-counter medications just because they're very easily available at home, right? Mm -hmm. So things like Tylenol, which is acetaminophen, and Motrin, which is ibuprofen, all the time, right? Whether it's little kids that accidentally get into it or teenagers that take too much of it, it's just that's probably the most common just because it's all over the place. Every household has it. Mm -hmm. With that being said, um, things like acetaminophen, Tylenol, uh, if your child ingests, like, you know, it's a, usually it's a liquid preparation that little kids get into. It's like mom was giving a dose to one of the other kids for a mm. fever or something, and it's hanging around on the counter, and then another kid in the house gets it. Uh, they just like the way it tastes. Tylenol is more concerning, uh, and if your child ingests Tylenol, you should at minimum call Poison Control Center, and then they can advise you. But Tylenol ingestions generally do need to be evaluated in the emergency room. Things like ibuprofen, which is children's Motrin, has a much wider therapeutic index. So mm-hmm. it's a much higher dose to be toxic. So it's less likely you'll need to go to the emergency room, but you still should call poison control center. And then they can advise you based on your child's weight and that sort of thing. Like if it's a concerning amount of stuff that they've ingested. Yeah. And we'll put the poison control number into the show notes just so that people have Perfect. it. Yeah. And is there anything that is like more unexpected that you see a l- commonly, like any type of, you know, like, I don't know, cleaners or because I work in an adult emergency room. So I never see kids. We see the traumas that come in, but we don't see, you know, these typical, these other medical cases. So I'm interested to hear like, what are some other, <laughs> some I other mean, I, I don't know that there's anything unexpected anymore in emergency medicine. <laughs> Truthfully, true. True. I shouldn't say true. that out loud because yeah, no, I go back true. to work tomorrow, but, um, <laughs> I mean, but things that kids generally wouldn't have access to, they still get into, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and there's a number of like household cleaners and other chemicals so, like that you might find in a garage or that people use for hobbies that definitely can be pretty toxic and even fatal. For example, like I know one of the questions that one of your listeners had sent in was about like toothpaste and fluoride and things mm-hmm. like that. So in generally in toothpaste, right? Little kids, they used to not recommend that you use fluoride for... <laughs> Thoroughly. <laughs> toothpaste with fluoride in it. Now, actually, the American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend you use a little bit of it. It has much less fluoride than any other household chemicals, but there are a fair amount of household products that have fluoride. For example, things like certain rust removers, people that do like glass etching as like a hobby, glass etching creams have fluoride in it. And there's been pediatric fatalities for kids that have mm. gotten into it. It's It doesn't take much. So things mm. like that should always be kept far away from children. The garage in general, anything like in the garage is not a place really where children should be. Things like windshield washer fluid and brake fluid. There's so many different things. Even things like sternos, like, you know, the things you use for parties, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. those contain toxic alcohol. So those are bad. Like there's just, there's so many things. 
I mean, as a parent, as if you don't worry about enough things already, you know, <laughs> really, really. But I mean, a lot of it can be prevented, right? Like just like keeping things in safe places, you know, mm-hmm. things like certain parents are on opioids at home, right? Pe- mm-hmm. People that are on methadone, like that's never a good thing, right? For kids to get into. I mean, I, I, I mean, this is what I do. So obviously, I've seen the emergency medicine aspect of it and the toxicology side of it. I've seen kids get into everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So anything and everything that a kid can get into they do. And it only takes a second, unfortunately. Yeah. So I have two questions for you then as a toxicologist. The first is, is there anything that you are not willing to have step foot in your house because you're worried that the kids might somehow get into it? Yeah. So I will not have any products with fluoride in my house, (laughs) with the exception of toothpaste, obviously, because that is pretty universally fatal if that's ingested. So that won't happen. Also things like ethylene glycol, which is antifreeze, mm-hmm. uh, I won't have in my house. A lot of pets actually die from that ingesting because like cars will leak it on the road, but it tastes, it's sweet. So it tastes good and it can cause like renal failure and all sorts of things. So that I won't have in my house. I mean, anything else? No, I mean, it's just safekeeping. Yeah. Like there's lots of stuff that I wouldn't want my girls to get into, but I just keep it locked yeah, up, yeah. you know? And then, so the second question is, now I know some people will go through all lengths to kind of baby proof and child proof their homes. How extensive do you go with your kids? Like, what do you, do you just do a couple cabinets? Do you do the whole house? What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I have pretty much any cleaning stuff or like products like that is all locked in one Mm -hmm. cabinet, like, and that's locked up. And then medications are locked up also separately. My husband is not as thorough about the medications. (laughs) Like, I'll never forget my two-year-old daughter when she was, she's four now. When she was two, she came like walking into the living room with my husband's bottle of like Pepto-Bismol. And I was like, seriously? I'm like, your mother is a toxicologist. I cannot take my child to an emergency room for drinking something <laughs> that she's not supposed to have. Can we please, for the love of God, put this back where it's supposed to be? Yes, oh. I know. But yes, I lock everything. All medications are in one cabinet locked up. And then any other like household products that she shouldn't, they shouldn't get into are in another yeah, cabinet. Yeah, perfect. So if someone's child does eat or drink something and you either know what it is or you may not, maybe it's, you know, they got to the cabinet and you, you know, there's some bottles on the floor and you're not sure what they might've taken. What's the first step that somebody would want to take at that point? Yeah. So this is 90% of childhood ingestions, right? The parents find you in the, whether it's a medication or a chemical, they're like, I don't know if they had any, but now it's all over them. Right. And so I don't know, they smell like it or they had like pill fragments or whatever. So the first thing you want to do is don't force the child to throw up, number one, because every parent (laughs) wants to do that. Call poison control center because they can advise you immediately. They'll tell you, they may tell you it's not a big deal. They may tell you you need to go to the emergency room, but don't try and force the child to throw up and don't give them anything else to eat or drink. Because parents also like another common theme that I hear a lot in the emergency room is that they were trying to like neutralize Mm. whatever it was that Mm -hmm. they that they ingested and they're trying giving them water or milk or whatever and things that are caustic, which we can talk about if you want later, that actually cause burns and stuff to the GI tract. You don't want them having eaten or drank anything. But I would just call poison control. And then obviously, if for some reason the child is having trouble breathing, anything else more concerning, I would call 911 first. Uh, But if the kid appears fine otherwise, then you call poison control center. And when should somebody bring their child to the emergency room after an exposure? So uh, one of two things. So 
if poison control tells you to go to the emergency room, then obviously you should follow those recommendations. If there's anything concerning going on, you know, you're concerned about their behavior or their vomiting or anything else, or if you have not gotten in touch with poison control and they've gotten into anything, I mean, you always err on the side of caution and come to the emergency room. You'd rather be told that your kid is okay, 100%. right, than not coming in. Yeah. And, and we've had we've had that before, right? Where parents are like, oh, it's Tylenol. I didn't think it was a big deal. And then they come in and then they're much sicker because we could have intervened earlier on if they had come in right yeah, away. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a lot of really interesting questions from the community. So we're going to dive into those unless you want to add. Do you want to add anything? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So let's go back to the fluoride and the toothpaste thing because this is a pretty big debate, I feel like among, so there's all these, you know, children's toothpaste brands coming out and saying, Oh, we don't have fluoride. We don't have fluoride. Pick us organic toothpaste, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, for me, so I grew up in an area that didn't have any fluoride in the water. And so I actually, you know, I had fluoride toothpaste, but I also received fluoride treatments for my teeth. And I swear they helped because I, st- I I had a few cavities along the way, but for the most part, like my teeth are pretty decent, <laughs> which um, yep. is surprising for being a clencher who literally grinds down on her teeth every night. <laughs> so we use fluoride in our kids' toothpaste as well. And so I know this is a huge concern for many parents. Do you want to just touch on that? And the question coming from the community was, you know, her three-year-old squirted a big glob of toothpaste, which had fluoride in it, into their mouth and swallowed it. At what point would you have some concern about how much toothpaste they ingested? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, it used to be that children like under the age of three or something were never recommended to have toothpaste with fluoride. Now those recommendations have changed, obviously. I use toothpaste with fluoride on my daughter since she's been brushing her teeth at a year old. Obviously, it's a tiny amount. Toothpaste itself has very, very small amounts of fluoride. You do need fluoride in your diet and in your toothpaste and things for dental health, like you mentioned, but it's very low concentrations. Now, if your kid has a little bit more of the toothpaste, you know, or swallows their toothpaste or squirts a little bit more in their mouth, it's really not that big of a deal. Now, if a child ingests an entire tube of fluoride, okay, that's a little bit more concerning. And then that may require that they get seen in the emergency room. But it's the amount of fluoride in toothpaste is very different than you find in these other household chemicals that have fluoride. It's much higher concentrations and much more concerning, obviously. Yeah. So (laughs) that's my take on that, really. I mean, in a nutshell, fluoride in the toothpaste is not a huge concern for anybody unless, you know, your kid's over there downing the entire toothpaste. Yeah, like Costco-sized tubes of... Of toothpaste, yeah. Although I will say my five-year-old really likes the taste of toothpaste. So every once in a while, I'll look over and she's like, I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right. So, okay, let's move on to a different topic that there were unexpectedly, for me, a lot of questions about, which I had mentioned to you earlier, but essential oils. So a lot of people had these questions on you know, thoughts on diffusing essential oils. Are there any long-term effects that kids could have from diffusing essential oils? Are there any ones that we should be avoiding? And so let's just touch on this a little bit, shall we? (laughs) I mean, from a toxicology standpoint, the major concern is if they get ingested, obviously. And, And even then it's mostly like an aspiration risk. 
and like a GI irritation of this. Yeah. Like they are they vomiting? Did they like did it go down the wrong pipe and now they're they aspirated? But other than that, like diffusing them in your house is not really a concern. I would just say just to be concerned, just like side note is that oil of wintergreen, which is not actually considered an essential oil, but it contains salicylates, which is aspirin, and that if is ingested by children is extremely toxic. Okay. So that's the only one that I would say. And it, like I said, it's not considered an essential oil, but people may, it, it's often in similar bottles and people may confuse it with the other mm -hmm. oils. But the rest of the essential oils are really, like I said, not much of a concern if they're diffused in the house. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about uh, older homes, renovating older homes. Um, I have a, some people that had some questions on, you know, I'm renovating and there, there may be some lead, there may be asbestos, there may be, you know, all these different things. What are your thoughts on that and when you should be concerned about it? Yep. So this is actually a big concern and this is a very important question, actually. So the major concern with older homes is lead paint. The EPA actually banned the use of household lead paints in 1978. Certain states banned it earlier than that. But if your home was made before 1978, it is considered a risk that you, you probably do have some degree of mm -hmm. lead paint. Commercially, they still do use lead paint like on bridges and things like that, which isn't really usually a concern for children. But so that's something to consider, especially when you're renovating. I mean, and then things like asbestos also are obviously a concern, um, but that usually that would come up in your home mm -hmm. inspection and if not in your home inspection with your contractor when you start renovating and they, that requires a special abatement same way as lead does. Every state is a little bit different in terms of their regulations, but I know like in this in the tri-state area, really New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, even Pennsylvania, most children are in addition to getting a CBC checked at one year and two year, um, they also get a lead screening. So your pediatrician should be screening your children at those ages. Yeah. If it's something that you're concerned about, I would ask the pediatrician also because it's an easy enough thing for them to check. The major route of toxicity, the way the kids get into it, it's eating lead paint chips. And usually it's little kids, obviously, that are they're standing at a windowsill and like biting on the windowsill. Yeah. And that's how they've been ingesting it. And then the other thing like just to think about is that where we see lead exposure is in parents that work in like gun ranges. They have a lot of it like just from the, the nature of frequent bullets and things like that, like a fine powder on their clothes and things. Mm -hmm. So like if you have someone in the household who happens to be working at a gun range or things like that, something to be aware of if you're coming home to small children that you should like take your clothes off outside of your house, things like that, because they may get exposed over time. Interesting. But yeah, that's the pretty much the two most common routes for lead exposure. Yeah. And we actually had, so our house is 1970 and we had it inspected and we had... <laughs> It, for some weird reason, it's so bizarre. There's like this area in the attic where there's a ton of vermiculite, but it's only in one corner. It's as if they like wanted to like put it over there and pretend it didn't exist. Okay. So we find it and they're like, well, this most likely has asbestos in it. And we didn't find it until we went up there. So we had the, the home inspector had actually missed it. And then we moved in and we had some work done where we put some ceiling fans into the upstairs bedrooms. And so they had to go into the attic. So they're drilling around there and they're like, did you know you have this vermiculite up here that might have, and I was like, what? <laughs> and then we get this, I went to go look into having it removed and they're like, oh, this is going to cost you literally thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars yeah. to remove like a handful of vermiculite. I'm like, you can just keep it up there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. not going to yeah. harm anybody. It's just in the corner. No one's touching it. Let it be. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the important thing to know, right? Asbestos, unlike lead, right? The primary route of toxicity, like the primary way you're exposed with asbestos is inhalation, right? So just the fact that it's there isn't causing a problem. It's more when someone's working in that area and aerosolizing it and things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's see here. Oh, this is a good one. So I had a few questions about these flame retardants on clothing. What are your thoughts on this? People like people really get nervous about this. People like will not buy any clothing that has any of these flame retardants on them. What's your thought? I mean, I truthfully, I don't give it a second thought. <laughs> I will, like wash your clothes, same way you would wash any clothes that you put on your kids before, wash them and it's probably fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even have that much to say about it just because I don't really give it a second thought. It's not something that I worry about. Yeah. Well, it was the same thing for me. And some of these, I was like, oh, I didn't, I wouldn't even, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. I'm like, okay, great. It's flame retardant. That's great. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't worry. There's so many other more important things to yeah. worry about. That wouldn't be one yeah. of them. So what about houseplants? Are there any, so I know there's obviously some specific houseplants that are really toxic to pets. Are there any houseplants that could be toxic to kids if they go ahead and decide to eat all the leaves off or something? <laughs> yeah. So most of the time, like indoor plants are usually not as much of an issue. They're more like GI distress than anything else, like vomiting, that sort of thing. There are a bunch of fair amount of plants and stuff that you may encounter out in the yard that grow naturally, especially in, in this area. And mushrooms also. Mm. Those are usually, those are always a <laughs> concern. But things like lily of the valley, jimson weed, foxglove, mm-hmm. oleander, like all these plants. There's tons of plants. They usually, like I said, people usually don't have those and bring them inside. Even like bushes and things that people plant outside with flowers that look pretty like rhododendrons if they're ingested have a fair amount of dangerous toxin called granotoxin oh, in them That's yeah so there's a lot of stuff outside i don't most people i don't think have that stuff in their house mm-hmm. like i said that there are exceptions there's a few exceptions but yeah for the most part it's more like outdoor plants but any if, you, if your kid ever gets into a plant or ingest anything what i would recommend is taking a picture if you know what kind mm-hmm. of plant it is that's the best situation if not you take a picture of it and bring it with you to the emergency room and then they'll call poison control or if they have a toxicologist at their hospital then they would show it to us and we can better help maybe identify what it is and if it's a concern yeah. Yeah, I actually just, we always take our kids on hikes and they're outside all the time. And you just actually reminded me, I'm like, we should do like a little, well, they're in Cub Scouts, but I'm like, maybe we should do a little introduction to spotting some plants outside that are, you know, not supposed to be ingested because you might, one of my girls really likes to experience all kinds of things. And so I can just picture her trying all the berries and the mushrooms and all this stuff. Yeah. And you'd be surprised because a lot of the most toxic plants have berries that look good and flowers that are pretty. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you got me, you've got my wheels turning this morning. All right. So let's see here. Are stain removers like OxyClean safe to use on my kids' clothing? Yeah. I mean, just wash your clothes after you use them. You know, like it will cause local irritation if you put it on while a kid's wearing the clothes. So like take it off of them and then that goes without saying and then just wash them. But yeah, it's fine. Are there any dangers to cleaning a tub with harsh cleaners? I'm assuming, you know, like bleach and then rinsing it down and bathing the kids in it after. No, not really. I would caution against mixing bleach and ammonia ever because that does release like a toxic fume called chloramine, which can be a problem. But like just cleaning your bathtub and then like rinsing it off, it's generally not a problem. Household bleach is generally pretty dilute anyway. 
And so even like ingested in small amounts, it doesn't generally cause a problem. Mm-hmm. There's a few exceptions, especially in New York City, because they do sell, even if it's Clorox, people think it's no big deal, but they do sell very concentrated bottles just because it's a storage issue really like in places in big cities oh, right so what do they do water it down it's like a concentrate yeah it needs to be diluted yeah. exactly so like when someone comes in and says oh my kid drank Clorox I'm like all right well you need to send me a picture mm. of the bottle because just yeah. telling me it's Clorox doesn't help but yeah no just cleaning the bathtub is not an issue I wouldn't even be concerned yeah. what about um lawn care products so I know a lot of people now with obviously up here too with the ticks and everything else you know we get our mm-hmm. our yard sprayed twice once you know in the spring and once you know in the later summer and people get concerned with the kids kind of like crawling around the lawn afterwards and or you know they have a a well, you know well water which is what we have and they're worried that the chemicals from what you spray your yard with will get into the well water that sort of thing yeah i mean any pesticides obviously it's a concern but usually as long as you wait it out until like there's a, your first good yeah. rain when there's like not really anything on the surface, it's not much to worry about. I wouldn't obviously like spray your lawn and then have your kids immediately like go outside and play in the grass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just cause it's, I mean, nothing immediate is going to happen to them, but it's just not the best idea. Mm-hmm. It's not good for yeah. them. But yeah, once you've had like a good rain or storm and it's all pretty much washed down into the soil, it's really less of a concern. In terms of well water, obviously anything that's in the groundwater is always a potential. But again, it's such a low, the the thing with toxicology is right. Like there's always a spectrum, right? We're exposed to so many things on a daily basis, but it's always the quantity, Mm -hmm. right? That matters. So like, if you're not, if you're not like spraying your lawn every single day, you know, for years and years and years, you're probably not going to encounter a significant amount of anything really in your well water. So it wouldn't be something that I worry about. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna I'm just going to put in a little snippet here about our recent I don't know if you had been following me during this time, but we have so we have well water and we have it checked. I think they recommend every two to three years. I think it's three years. And so we had it checked when we first moved in, which was 2015, and then we checked it again in two thousand just about two thousand nineteen. And our uranium levels were extremely high inside of our well water. And of course, me over here, I'm, you know, I'm like, what? I'm freaking out, right? And so we, we call, so Ryan obviously, call, he calls everybody at the hospital, like, do what do we need to do? We call poison control. And everybody's kind of like, I don't really know, because it's not really a common... <laughs> like exposure. And so I'm like, we've been drinking this water every single day for years. And so we brought, we had to bring the kids in. We had all their labs drawn. We talked to, you know, a bunch of different, you know, toxicologists and all these different specialists. And they were like, get these labs, see what they look like. And we'll kind of go from there. And all of our kids actually had bumped LFTs and had some liver issues. And okay. so we had to have them redrawn. So obviously we, we get the uranium, we had to get the uranium filter. We had to get in you know, all this stuff down the basement, thousands of dollars later, have some good working water. And six months later, we were supposed to go back to have them redrawn and they were normal. But that's just kind of this PSA to all of you that have well water is to make sure you're Inject. checking it. Yeah. And 
I didn't grow up with well water. So I mean, I moved here and I'm com- I was completely clueless, completely clueless. And the thing is, uranium is this natural occurring substance, right? And because yep. we live in an area that has a lot of rock, and apparently, like if there's construction nearby, or what have you, apparently, it can disturb right the the earth and the way that everything's moving underground. And especially too, if you live on a hill, and so we actually live where there's a lot of like, you know, big hills and, and all that. And so sometimes the water can make it settle in certain areas of your street, your town. And so it just goes to show you, you know, one, one year you could have a level of three and the next year you could have it be, you know, 55. It it just, it totally varies. And it's just really important to have it checked. So that's my little PSA. Okay. So let's go on to... Are plastic cups and bowls okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, these are things that people are concerned about. Plastic yeah. bowls. I mean, nowadays, they're much more cautious, obviously, about all BPA. like the chemical. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That are in there. But as long as it says BPA-free, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't worry too much yeah, about it. Yeah. How concerned should I be about mold on furnace vents? Uh, don't be. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time someone like, consult the toxicology because somebody was concerned about quote-unquote toxic mold Mm -hmm. it's not a thing so (laughs) i wouldn't worry about it people can be allergic to molds Mm -hmm. right and it may cause a problem with your allergies but like unless you're like a horribly immunocompromised person who's like directly inhaling mold spores and getting infected like it's not really anything that you should be worried about i actually want to hear about like What's some of the most unexpected, I mean, I know you said there's nothing unexpected in the ED. I get that. <laughs> but what are some some unexpected substances that you've come across, like in the years that you've worked as a toxicologist? Oh, let's see. Rare medications, obviously, are always, like, sometimes we'll get a random call about, like, a veterinary medication. Like, I had a lady who, when I was working in New York, had horses and took like some rare medication that apparently is prescribed to horses, which I obviously didn't know anything about because I don't do animal medicine. (laughs) So then I had to like, look up what the medication is, like, you know, and then based on like, we make basically we do make an educated guess and things Mm -hmm. like that, right? Like I look up the mechanism of how it works. And I'm like, okay, well, we have this similar medication in humans, and it does this. So it ended up being fine, but like sometimes we get rare things like that. A lot of medications between people and animals do crossover. Mm-hmm. So in that case, obviously it's different, yeah. but this was something that people do not use. I mean, kids get into like, it's definitely not common, but I mean, it happens. I probably see it a few times every year, but we get kids, like I said, they get into these things like opioids mm-hmm. and that's usually, it's usually a very sad thing because, you know, it's a prob- big mm-hmm. problem in kids. Like I said, the mushroom and plant ingestions are always fun because people bring in like Ziploc bags and these like half eaten like mushrooms and plants and they're like five people in my house like pick these from the garden and like now they're sick and like what do we do and I'm like well it's kind of hard for me to tell what it is puked out into a plastic bag but or like envenomations right like people will like get not as common in this area but all across the country right toxicologists deal with this like kids or adults will get bit by like a snake and like somebody will Mm. like bring the snake into yeah, the yeah. ER, right? I mean, same thing you see, I'm sure, like people when they get bit by a bat, like, oh, right? Yeah. They bring yeah, them yeah. in, like, I'm like, I'm like, you, I believe you, you don't need to bring it to me. Like, I promise, yeah. like, well, we had a, take um, a picture, right? Yeah. We have cell phones. <laughs> no. So there was a, a case that 
we had this woman who would come in very frequently. She came in with belly pain, belly pain, belly pain, which is a frequent, you know, it's just a frequent complaint in the ER. And, you know, we, we couldn't, I don't know, gastritis, I don't, you know, who knows? And she kept coming back. And then, you know, she was like, oh, well, you know, um, like seven years ago, I did go on a vacation in Thailand and then kind of drifted off. And then she starts throwing up in the emergency department and just, worms and worms. And I have never, I mean, I will never and never, ever forget this case because I was just, I was like, I think I just stood there. I was like, what? (laughs) You know, because we don't see that as commonly over here, but I was like, oh, okay. Wow. All right. You definitely did have abdominal pain, (laughs) you know, but these are things you can't see, you know, I mean, Sometimes yep. it takes a couple times for someone to come in and us to figure out what's going on because you can't always, I can't see these worms, you know, replicating in your, in your GI tract. But yeah, you, we have people that bring in all kinds of things in, in paper bag and, you know, paper bags and plastic baggies. And I'm like, Oh boy, what do we got here? <laughs> right. But this is this, you can't, you cannot no. make up the things that we see in the ER every single day. Right. And so this is why people make TV shows about the emergency room. Right. Because I mean, it's for really better so or worse. Fun, it's, it's the so most exciting fun. place in the hospital, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And that, I mean, that's why I love it, right? Because I never know what's coming through the door, right? I never see the same thing two days in a row. And you get to help people, right? You were helping them at a lot of these people mm-hmm. at their lowest, at their when they're the most scared or the sickest, right? So, yeah. Oh, but this is why people make TV shows. Though. And <laughs> are they far fetched in some of their, yeah, some of their things? Yes. And they're not always medically correct, but the actual <laughs> stories are not that far off, right? Like <laughs> that far fetched. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we get called toxicologists, we get consulted too on like any sort of ingestion, right? So, like, they'll call me for any sort of like mm-hmm. foreign body also that like a kid ingests, right? So, like, if they eat a battery or like, any sort of random thing like for oh for example right so this is probably like a rare thing they make yeah. these um like all sorts of little kid toys right like these oh, little like yeah, yeah, that yeah. like when you add water they expand and or the little the little magnets right like that these kids play with like all i've seen all of that stuff right they yeah. call us because like they're like what's in this do we know like and for the most part like those little beads that expand those things it's more of like an obstructive risk right like because they just get bigger so like when they're in their intestine tiny intestinal tracts they can cause a blockage more than the actual like toxicity right and then the magnets also right those chemically like are not going to cause a problem but they can cause like bowel perforations and that's a problem but like yeah, we get all so any any like weirds. I had I think I got called for like kids as mm. well, like the Nerf guns, like the foam, like little things for Nerf guns, it and like so interesting. I mean, so I want to back up to. So I always, I always get questions about this because my kids absolutely love the magnetiles, and these are those like plastic things with the little tiny magnets yep. in it. And I think there was like a case, you know, yep. a couple years ago or something where a, a child ingested it, and I think they, I, I think they passed away. Or at least it was, you know, an extensive surgical situation. What do you have to say about those? Are those something that you wouldn't have in your house? Like, should I get rid of them? I mean, we love them. I mean, my four-year-old has them. So, <laughs> I mean, okay, I wouldn't give them to a one or a two-year-old right. who's going to chew on them, right? Because there are magnets in them, right? And the same thing as those little, like, the little ball magnets that I was saying. Like, it, it does, like, if they're ingested, the, the reason... Like, for, mm-hmm. like you and I obviously understand because we've seen this in the ER, but for anyone who doesn't know, right, the real problem with those magnets is you have tons of little like coils of your intestines in your stomach, right? And so 
if one magnet, one of those magnets is in one of those coils and the other one is further away in another one, they're going to attract each other. And so what happens is that means it goes through the bowel wall Mm -hmm. and creates holes in places that it shouldn't be. And that's a big problem. And so that's why, and that's why there's a concern for magnets. The magnets in and of themselves, like if one is ingested is not a concern usually at all. It's when there's multiple because they do attract to each other and then destroy tissue that it shouldn't. Yeah. So stemming off of that, are there any toys that are like specifically for children that you won't have in your house because of, I don't know, like button battery toys or, you know? Um, I mean, no, honestly, truthfully, I mean, yeah, because it's, it's all a matter of honestly, good supervision. It only takes a second, right? Kids will get into stuff. I have a daughter who's four and then I have an infant who was just born in February, obviously. So she's not getting into anything, but I mean, she's always had like those like little books that sing and have button batteries in them and things like that. I mean, you just make sure that they're not like playing unsupervised with like that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm an emergency room doctor, so I tend to not make catastrophes out of mm-hmm. things so i try you know i mean like if you're not dying we're good for the day you know like you're alive yeah. you're fed so I, I don't there's not many things like i said i don't have a hard and fast rule for like certain things that i would absolutely never mm-hmm. have i personally and this is not for anybody else after being an er doctor and not necessarily a toxicologist i will never have a house with a pool just because that's my yeah. personal preference yeah. i personally don't have any problem with it, but I won't have a gun in my house just because that's my personal mm-hmm. preference. And and just because I don't want the children, I don't want the risk of my children being around the same with a gun and in a pool, nothing political yeah. at all, but yeah. you know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Stuff like yeah. that is a hard and fast for me, but like, there's not anything else really that like, I would not absolutely have in my yeah. house. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's see. Is there an, Oh, okay. So, uh, button batteries. So I know that this might be a quick question that people might have button batteries. What do you do if you know your child ingested one? You have to go to the mm-hmm. emergency room. Yes. <laughs> it's a problem. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's, there's not many things that I'll say to you hundred percent. You have to go to the emergency room. That is hundred percent all the time. Any battery ingestion actually at all, mm-hmm. you should go to the ER because there's a lot of like different variations and stuff, but yeah, especially button batteries. And that, that's the most common. Yeah. You have to go to the ER. <laughs> Hundred percent. So, is there right? What else do you think? Anything we should cover? I will say something else that's very common that we get to be aware of in terms of like household cleaners and stuff are things that are caustic. So, oven cleaner is super caustic. Toilet bowl cleaner, and what caustic means is like things that like when you drink it, like break basically burns your mouth, your esophagus, yeah. all that stuff. So, you should generally get evaluated after those um, minimum just call poison control. But yeah, those sorts of things are commonly ingested by kids just because again, like Tylenol Motrin, they tend to be around the house. Most households have that sort of stuff. The other thing too, is like if I had a dollar for every time I had a consult because grandma or grandpa was watching so-and-so and they were taking their daily medications and left them on the counter and then the kid got into them right so mm. even though our houses may be childproof, right when you have other people or that are watching your kids or you're bringing them to someone else's house it's something to think about right and so like if yeah. grandma and grandpa especially are watching them on a regular basis make sure that like you have the same conversations with them about medication safety where things should be stored they should have if they're gonna have your kids in their house they really should have the same level of childproofing that anybody else should so it's just something yeah. to think about because that's definitely in terms of medications like yes mom and dad can have medications in the house too for sure but most grandmas and grandpas are on something and so that's a constant like reoccurring theme that we get mm. is that like grandma and grandpa had their medications out or you know have those little pill boxes and like they got into the medication and that yeah. that's obviously a problem because there are a fair amount of adult 
medications that can be very dangerous in children. Yeah, definitely. So let's go into the two questions I always ask all of my podcast guests. And the first one is, this doesn't have to be related to the topic today. Okay. If you could give a piece of advice to moms, what would it be? Do your own thing. And don't let anybody else tell you that you're doing anything wrong one way or the other, right? So especially when you're a first time mom, you're going to get tons of solicited and unsolicited advice, much like Mm -hmm. when you're an Instagram influencer, I guess. Um, (laughs) And so people are often well meaning, right? It's not coming from a bad place. But you have to kind of build a thick skin and just let it you're going to take the little pieces from so many different people, you take a little bit from whoever you like and the way they parent, right? And you're going to come up with your Mm -hmm. own style of parenting. But like people Mm -hmm. are going to, especially like with things like breastfeeding and like formula feeding, like honestly, like you have to do what's best for you. You know your child best and take the advice from people that you want to take it from and then ignore the people that don't. And I mean, I wish somebody had told me that (laughs) Mm -hmm. as a first time mom. I just feel like it's okay to do your own thing, right? Like your mom raised you one way. It's not necessarily right or wrong, but you're going to do it differently just by the nature of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think because you're a first-time mom, you're just you're almost looking for the advice too because you're like, oh, I want to be prepared, you know? Yep. Like I I want to know more than I know right now. And so you you take it all in and then and then you're doing all these things and they might not work for your specific scenario or your specific child. So yep. just kind of keeping that in mind. Yeah, I like that. And then the second question is, if you could make one meal for your whole entire family that everyone will eat, and that is quick and easy, what would it be? Uh, I mean, pasta. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Yeah. What's your favorite pasta dish? Uh, I mean, I'm Italian, so (laughs) I'm any of them, really. I mean, my parents are both really great cooks, and so we grew up eating pasta, and I mean, I don't know. Do any children really not eat pasta? <laughs> I don't know any. I don't know any that will not eat I mean, pasta. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my daughter's very good. Like, she eats whatever I make, honestly. She's, I'm lucky in that sense, but she yeah. will never turn down pasta. Probably pizza, she would never turn down either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the two go-tos for sure, yeah. pizza and pasta. It's always a yeah. safe bet. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really informative, and I'm sure people will really find it um, helpful. And... I hope you have a great day back at work tomorrow. Yep. Did you say? Yep. Tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're so excited. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.